Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, we could have been a power couple. It's Arturo Zurita. I'm excited to be here, Zach. It's it's getting scary because in a couple of weeks, we're going to have to make that decision. To go to the theaters or not to go to the theaters. It don't seem like they have a choice at this point. Um... I would not go yeah, to a theater I, if I was in New York. I wouldn't go to the subway <laughs> if I was in New York. I probably wouldn't even go outside if I was in New York. But uh, I know Chicago's opening for sure, so it's going to be very interesting yeah, how they play that out. I'd have to drive about two hours to get to Philadelphia if I uh, was desperate enough to go see Tenant. Uh, just I'm go to the UK. Not just, so just sure fly to the UK. That, yeah, <laughs> seems just about as easy right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are making that decision on whether or not to go. Some people are talking about. Uh, driving five hours through the desert. I don't know if that's something that I would do for New Mutants, but it, you know, we're we're looking for some kind of normalcy. It's I, get I canceled guess. again. Lucky, luckily, there's also plenty to watch on streaming too. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about uh, the Batman logo, the Cuties controversy, and movies oh. leaving streaming services in a little bit. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com/slash Intercut Pod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at Intercut Pod. That's at Intercut P O D. That's short for podcast. And don't forget to leave us a five star review on apple podcast it's the best way to show your support of the show and help others find it art let's start the way we started every week here with what we're watching what you've been watching buddy i got a couple uh, i got a pretty interesting twisty turning movie called lake artifact i don't know if you heard about this at all it's a little bit I of a, it's a little bit of a time loop movie uh if you're a fan of coherence i would recommend it i, I don't know how perfect it is still got to go back on a second rewatch to catch some things but pretty much you have a documentary that's split throughout the movie t- talking about this house near a lake and then you have an actual movie that's going on this is something we've seen with uh i think it was antrim did something similar it was a, like a mm-hmm. documentary split in between uh what was supposed to be the most haunted movie that made it to a festival or something like that and that every person mm-hmm. who saw it died well in lake artifact there's a documentary about this house while you catch five a couple of friends who are going out to a lake and they come across this guy who's just walking he's got cans of beer and then it gets very loopy, gets very, I don't want to spoil too much in it, but it's a, it's a very, if you're a fan of Coherence, if you're a fan of movies like The Endless, I'd say this would be up your alley. Um, but again, I have to check it out just to see how cohesive everything is. But it's, a, it's an interesting little movie that's out there. Um, another one I caught that's just, <laughs> just as zany, Tesla. Did you ever get to catch right. Tesla from Sundance? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't catch it at Sundance, but I've seen it since. Uh, a very strange biopic. Yeah. Definitely not your uh, typical, what you would expect if you were sold the movie like in one sentence. Uh, the movie stars Ethan Hawke, directed by Michael Almereda. Cool, dude. Uh, who, who, he makes pretty unconventional movies. Uh, I think his film, uh, what was it with Peter Sarsgaard, The Experimenter? Dude, uh, I, I'm a big fan of is, that one. Yeah, it's, it's, weird, it's similarly kind of like weird unraveling and like modern look at a at, a, at like an older world. Uh, it's cool because he kind of doesn't play by the normal rules of a mm-hmm. biopic. Um, he, at Sundance, also did a movie called Marjorie Prime which is yeah. like an interesting, I don't know if you ever caught that one, interesting take on like uh, death, 
but also like memories and how you can preserve people. Uh, very slow. A lot of people said it was kind of like a Black Mirror episode. Yeah. Uh, this is more like Experimenter, where he just does weird, zany things where he will purposefully uh, have... <laughs> in Tesla, obviously, which takes place in the early 1900s, there will be people opening up, as we heard early on at Sundance, an iPhone, a MacBook, to yeah. tell you about the Google searches uh, the, about this person. The narrator, yeah, exactly, says how many Google results their search As compared to with. the other and stuff like that. And Experimentary does the same thing. You have weird sounds that are going on or, like, something passed by the screen to, like, catch your mm. attention. So it's interesting. One of the really interesting things he also does that it, it kind of highlights the artifice of a biopic, the, the uh, yeah. artificial nature of recreating an old setting, is sometimes he'll just have his actors go on in front of, like, a backdrop instead uh-huh. of an actual background. Like, it's clearly um, just, like, they're standing yeah, in front of a picture. <laughs> no location, Scott, was done. They just searched up the Google <laughs> images. They found the landscapes, put them in the back. Uh, I think if you're a fan, you've mentioned, like, the way he approaches biopics. If you're a fan of, like, how Yorgos does his characters, not that to that degree of dryness but mm-hmm. just that off-kiltered way of like i'm not just gonna do a straightforward biopic uh yeah. I, i'm gonna have these little flourishes in there and the way that they uh like the main character who would be the i don't know if they ever get married or not but um the daughter of jp morgan who is pretty much the one who's like breaking the fourth wall for you brings up like a lot of more curt current things as opposed to like the past and how the two relate um if you wanted a straightforward biopic though the current war director's cut is a fantastic (laughs) look at tesla but it's been interesting to get all these like different tesla movies you know going all the way back to the i know he's not the og but um what's his name in uh the prestige david bowie in the prestige as tesla you know uh yeah from nolan yeah um yeah i mean uh it's a it's an interesting film i'm typically kind of lukewarm on his movies probably the experimenter i I, mm -hmm. i like the most um but just the choices are so different and interesting uh, it definitely is worth it for some people who have an eye towards something that's not your typical look at a well-known figure. And Ethan Hawke looks like he's going to cry the entire movie. So there's <laughs> yeah. also that. Yeah. Uh, another one that I saw um, was Host. I don't know if you caught Host. Yeah, I did catch Host. Uh, what the, did you think? <laughs> I mean, I think the inevitable comparison has to be to Unfriended. It's for sure. It's got that similar... Uh, kind of all on one screen thing going on uh, whereas unfriended I think did a little more did a little bit more of a reliance on the idea of our interactions with the computer because it's got elements of using Skype and using Facebook and private text messages and uh, you know a song plays from iTunes during unfriended uh, this is much more catered to just the experience of like uh, not necessarily the, the, the I think the difficulties of communication over a medium like Zoom, you know, uh, they have the fact that people's connection drops out, play a pivotal role in the plot. They have a really interesting gag with the virtual background thing that you can do on yeah, Zoom. That was very uh, which clever. Which was, to me, one of the highlights of the movie. Uh, it's a very satisfying kind of like jump scare uh, catered film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of liked that it was so brief. I, I don't know if I needed a whole lot more story. It's very thin, but it's kind of like very much just the roller coaster elements of a good horror movie. It's 57 minutes. Like, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty short. Uh, but I agree with you. It's like the mythology or whatever, the, the jump scare stuff. Like, it, that, that aspect is 
it's there. But uh, unlike thing. Unfriended, which I feel is almost going to be like a Groundhog Day, Unfriended was just the first big one to do it. You know, like even Searching mm-hmm. gave a shout out to Unfriended within it, its world because it had the same production company. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like the genre. It's just like the, the trope of being online that we're going to see so many more of those not only because of the technology that's been booming, but because everybody's on Zoom calls nowadays, because everybody's mm-hmm. doing Skype or something like that. Uh, so it's just like a matter of time before it becomes its own genre. But um, as opposed to Unfriended, what it gets really well is what you said, uh, the background stuff. It's how they actually interact with the medium of a Zoom call or whatever it was that they were using, using the masks as well, <laughs> like using mm-hmm. like the little emoji Snapchat effects that they have. I thought was pretty, that was done pretty well. Um I think they shot it during quarantine, correct? Yeah, and that's another thing that's worth commenting on because uh, I did really like that aspect of it because it, it's one of those things that provides some context to the movie. But even though it's clearly like they talk about Corona in the movie, uh, they never <laughs> they, really the they never really talk explicitly about it it's more like references to it it's like oh yeah we moved in together when lockdown started and then yeah. it's just kind of in the background of the movie it's Which, not a yeah they handle it pretty well point. um i think with more time or like if they did like a follow-up or even something bigger to it uh to have that emphasis on how they communicate online still be like the star of it but to fix some of the technical aspects sometimes they'll be walking around with the camera like the other no one walks with the laptop face the other way so that the audience who's watching the movie can see what it is uh but it, i thought it was still effective and at 57 minutes like it, it's very hard to drag at 57 yeah. minutes so did a pretty good job absolutely yeah um a shout out to shutter who's you know dude shutter's that, been killing that's it. their niche right there bro shutter came out up their prices by a dollar and you know what i saw all over twitter People saying that's okay. They're like, hey, yeah. I have no problem. Continue giving us the, the content that you're giving us and we're going to be completely okay with it. It's very rare where your audience, your consumers are like, it's okay. 99 cents, no problem. We'll pay for it happily. <laughs> so there's a lot of good stuff on Shutter. Uh, two other quick Absolutely. ones. Um, I used to go here from South by Southwest. Uh, I was able to catch its stars. Um, uh, Gillian from, Jacobs. From Community, from Love, yeah. And yeah, I was kind of interested in this one. I think you'd like it. At fir- I was loving it at first. I thought the first half was like, yo, this is a really great movie. It, it teeters off a bit, but uh, it's a fun little comedy dramedy about uh, an author who you realize it doesn't matter if you're on YouTube, if you're an author, if you're a musician. Views are views, and your tour will get canceled if your book does not sell the way it's supposed to. Um, but it's a nice little, like, journey on how she has to go back to her college town and realizes that the way that she saw her professor as she's also maybe about to become a professor and how professors interact with their students and this whole very cyclical nature of going from like having your first book becoming a professor prying on students you know i it's got a very uh back and forth nature to it um with her examining like everything that she went through in college but now that she's older Obviously, as the title says, I used to go here, and I thought it was a pretty good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a pretty good movie, a solid flick. This one would have been interesting to see at South by with everybody because I thought it had some very right. funny moments. But uh, and then Driveways, complete opposite. Uh, yes. This one stars our. I don't, did you see it? Yes, uh, our girl Hong it. Chow. Talk about it. And also, uh, you know, a posthumous performance from uh, Brian Dennehy, who as their kind of like uh, a little bit crabby neighbor. Uh, really sweet movie. I caught this as part of Tribeca's oh, okay. slate. That was like a virtual slate this year. Uh, so yeah, it's this family, this uh, s- single mother and her child going to the house of uh, the mother's now dead sister to clean it out and sort of 
acclimating to a new neighborhood, acclimating to new surroundings. It's very much about the experience of of being kind of like a lonely young kid, I felt like, uh, which to me made it like an interesting uh, parallel to one of my other favorites from this year that's not out yet, Minari. Like I couldn't shake Mm. Minari uh, when watching this movie. Uh, but this one has a lot of great uh, moments in its own right. I, I love the relationship that develops between the young kid and uh, the neighbor, Brian Dennehy, as, uh, you know, he seems like they would be, uh, I don't know, it, it's this unlikely family kind of thing yeah. going on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the directing in it. Like, there'd be little moments mm-hmm. where obviously the mom wants to quit smoking, but she doesn't, so she'll be she'll smoke, drop the butt, and he just doesn't even look at the butt. He just knows to put it out for his mom. You know, it's the little moments in their very lived-in relationship. The, and even the stuff that they're figuring out, because like you said, they go to their sister, her sister's house, who they never really saw. And just the honesty, I think, between... That's what I really liked in the movie, between the mom and the son, how the son yeah. would be like, so why weren't you with the sister a lot? And she just opens up about it, like what they mm-hmm. went through and stuff like that. Um but yeah, it was a nice and little movie. Like, I want to rewatch it. It's moments like that where it's kind of, it's a young kid figuring out things about the world, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, <laughs> I think we all have those moments where you your innocence gets shattered a little bit. And I think this movie is al- about that in many ways. And it's very sweet. It's got a very tender Andrew. heart at said center. Uh, shout out to Andrew Ahn, who's the director of that uh, movie. Yeah, Driveways. It's very good. It's on Hoopla, too. Another shout out what to What did I tell Hoopla. you about Hoopla, dude? Hoopla and Canopy, man. <laughs> they got to they gotta start yeah. doing sponsorships because they got some good stuff. Uh, what have yeah. you been watching? Uh, well, I was also going to bring up Tesla, so I'm glad you brought that up. But it's not the only movie uh, that we saw at Sundance that is now out in the world. Uh, most notably, Boy State has finally been released. Yes, sir. I think we got to talk about this one for a little I was gonna, bit. I was going to save it as a recommendation of the week, but please, please, please. It's on Apple TV, uh, by the way. Yeah, on Apple TV, uh, finally, there is a big reason to get Apple TV. Uh, right? It, it's Because <laughs> this is like, if it, it's definitely one of the movies of the year. I don't think there's any way uh, other than that to, to pitch it. Uh, it. It's a new direct documentary directed by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. Uh, and their time at the 2018 Texas Boys State Camp, which is like a political day camp or, or, or I guess it might be a sleepaway. I don't even really know if they get into that. Uh, where these young kids, 16, 17 years old, all boys here, although there is a girl's state, it's not featured in the documentary, uh, Maybe a run political campaigns and elect a governor of their Texas boys' state. Uh, it was in the news in 2017 when the Texas boys' state voted to secede from the union, and that's the uh, incident that actually brought the documentarians there to investigate it. And what they find is this like really rich uh, microcosm of our political uh, system in this just camp. It, it, the way in which it's a blend of all of the it's a mirror of all of the 
things that we hate about our current political system as well as just this uh place for these young kids to go and and be boys and be adolescents i think it ends up being this amazing kind of view of america in 2020 uh and even though the events take place in 2018 just the way it's resonant, the way it's even maybe more resonant now than it was when we saw it at Sundance as we get into the heat of our own election. Uh, I just was blown away by it again. I had a panic panic attack watching it again because uh, it just it, there's just these moments, uh, <laughs> you know, the two parties at the camp are the nationalists and the federalists <laughs> and then they're shouting feds, feds, feds at one point and I, I, it, the makes you cringe, makes you uncomfortable, but uh, there's redemption in it. There's amazing characters in it. Uh, Renee is just my 2020 mood for most of this movie. Uh, I I don't know, man. Uh, I'm really into Boys State. I, I have watched it a couple times since getting access to it recently. Uh, Do you get to rewatch it, or are you still fresh from Sundance? Because I know that's one uh, you recommended super highly i made all of y'all go then. watch it i think all of you went to the same screening i was like no yep. you're all gonna go watch boy state uh, i know some of you guys were like tired as can be like damn art's making me watch boy state right now <laughs> gotta wake up early in the morning catch a flight it. it was my must watch movie uh at sundance i have not seen it again but i don't think anything Man. has topped my first viewing of boy state and just hearing you say that you watched it multiple times and again you we saw it in january uh, maybe more pertinent now. I think this movie will last. You can watch it 20 years from now and still go back. Mm-hmm. The characters, uh, but just the way everything unfolds. Literally, uh, the documentarians had said that they were following like several, like there were, I don't know, how, how many did you say there were? There was like, a, there's thousands of kids, hundreds of kids. I think I it's 550 kids who okay. are at Texas Boys State, but they end up landing on four central characters. And it's amazing because apparently how they did it, three yeah. of them, they had picked out before it even really gets to uh, the, the pivotal parts of the elections, and then they end up being these really central figures to the to the camp. That's what makes it so interesting. And then just how you're looking at uh, both perspectives and the way that they're just trying to campaign uh, all that effort to it. This was one of the movies that after it had ended, there's one thing I always say when we go to festivals. I am not a big fan of being in there with the press once mm-hmm. because they're all like judging each other on when they should be laughing like at tiff for the jojo one is like someone would laugh and be like oh, i don't know if you should be laughing at this point or there's just not that much energy or you know they're walking out they're leaving it because those are full of industry people bro we all stayed till the end of this one i had the credits roll and the dude next to me stands up looks at me <laughs> and claps with me and i was like i feel you homie um very rare it's to even get that of- in a press one but yeah it's kind of undeniable how uh, how pertinent this movie feels. You know, it's just a pure distillation of American politics mis- mixed crazy. with that like summer camp aesthetic. It might be the best way to learn about America if you're a foreigner. Honestly. I know we have some people who who uh, aren't Americans who listen to our podcast. And if you can if you can watch this movie, I would watch it as soon as you can. You know, I've just projected all the things that I get frustrated with with our political system onto the boys in this movie, fair or not, because mm-hmm. they're, you know, like I said, 16, 17. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not it's not all it's not all liberal either. That's one thing that I think maybe they're in Texas, be a misconception. It's it's it, they're in Texas. And it's so the conservative politics are also really uh, strong. They're, they're such a key element of this movie. But I think what's interesting is uh, there are times when like the youth and immaturity of these boys uh, peeks through 
which you know maybe isn't unlike uh, Trump tweeting about TV ratings while a, a thousand Americans die every day, but like you still end up getting these like heartfelt policy debates in part of it too. It, it just it's so interesting. I don't know. Uh, I it it's the first documentary where I left wanting a sequel, as we mentioned. The Bro, girl, girl stay. I'm be, telling yeah. you, yo. I I I, I hope more people uh, tune into it because yeah, yeah, so far it's still my uh, still my most watch of the year coming out of Sundance. Yeah, and it's beautifully made. Uh, the camera work puts you right in the action with that verite vibe. Uh, Jesse Moss is a, a documentary filmmaker that I've been following since his last film, The Overnighters. Uh, mm. Which you're talking about uh, that? Yeah. Also a great one, definitely worth watching, especially if you liked this movie. Uh, a couple others from Sundance that are now out: Happy Happy Joy Joy uh, is the Ren and Stimpy documentary uh, that profiles the controversial uh, creator John Krafalski. I, I I'm always forget how to pronounce that name. Uh, and I don't know. It's an interesting piece. Uh, if you're a fan of Ren and Stimpy, the very uh, thorough nature at which it goes through the history Ooh. of that show, I think, would be a treasure trove. And the for aftermath. You. Uh, yeah, it... I don't know if it necessarily properly reckons with all the aftermath. It's definitely interesting because it it plays one of the big questions throughout is like, can you separate the art from the artist? Mm -hmm. Like, does it matter uh, that this thing with that has kind of taken on its own life comes from a guy who's caused so much pain to people? I, I wish maybe the documentary delved even further into that. Uh, but it's definitely going to be something that fans of Ren and Stimpy should uh, seek out. As somebody who was never really into Ren and Stimpy, who kind of was put off by those cartoons, I, I just thought it was okay. I wasn't super into this documentary. Uh, yeah, I know we had said that they bring a lot of people in just to be like, I'm famous person. Right. And I saw Ren and Stimpy. All right, now time for the part of the documentary where you have to reckon with what the guy's guy had did and how you can't really separate the art from the artist considering that the art was literally created by what he was going through in his life and those celebrities don't come back. The, right. Like, bring the celebrities back. They do do a cool thing of focusing in on him. Like, they have him sit down and be like, what'd you guys say? And they just, it's, it's him. Like, it is him yeah. talking to the camera about, like, the stuff that he went through and uh, may not be for everybody, the conclusions that, that they come through with it. But uh, like you said, it is an interesting, you know, they spend the first 60% of the movie um, focusing on Ren and Stimpy and all the creative process. And probably the coolest thing about it was, and you notice this a lot with animations now, when an animation ends, you got the created by. And he was one of the first people to be like, nah, this is not the, this is not the studio, this is not the network, this is me, created by. And they get mm -hmm. a lot of animators who come out and say, it was like, we started doing that because he did it. And it showed that stamp right. of approval being an author um, with your animation uh, and the stuff they got away with. <laughs> the stuff they got away with. But yeah, it'll be an interesting one to revisit. Yeah. Uh, another film that is out recently, Spree. Uh, the comedy thriller from Eugene Kotsularenko starring Joe Keery and Sashir Zamata. Uh, David Arquette's in this one too. It's about a rideshare driver who has trying to figure out a plan to go viral that turns deadly. Uh, this was uh, an interesting one. I didn't catch it at Sundance. I caught it more recently. Mm -hmm. uh, in And what I thought was interesting about it is how integrated into the digital online world this film is, whether it's references to Draw My Life or Life Hacks or uh, all the 
clear parallels between their fake apps like Spree, which is their rideshare app, their Uber. to you know Uber and Lyft in the real world, uh, to like their Twitch, to their Periscope or whatever it is. But also, there's certain moments in the movie where I feel like if you don't have an eye for how to interact with the online world, you wouldn't even know how to uh, handle it. There's a moment where Kurt pulls up to a gas station, and it's a split screen between his a vertical stream on his phone and a ga- security camera from the gas station. And there's a police car that pulls up that completely goes unmentioned, but changes the dynamic mm-hmm. of the scene. And if you, you're too focused on watching the chat to figure out what's going on, because there's no voice responding to him, he's talking to people in the chat. You are not also noticing the p- police car, uh, car. So it's kind of like, you have to be internet fluent and know mm-hmm. to kind of look all over the place. I think Unfriended did that really well. I think there's moments in Spree that do that pretty well. I think Joe Keery is pretty charming throughout. I, I kind of like this one more than I expected to. I know there's a lot of people hating on it, but uh, I I enjoyed it. I say the biggest criticisms, not as yeah. one who hated it. Uh, I thought it was enjoyable. Um, they make him a little goofy, bro. They they make like yeah. his they. It's like the director said this is what influencers are like no he's not saying this is what all influencers are like but he's like this is how all influencers act and he said he went through a joe Keery went through a compilation of uh the cringiest people on youtube and absorbed all that and you could tell that it's not the one profile that he found that's cringy it's ten thousand you know however many people and he accumulated them all into a being that is the character in spree uh and that's yeah. fine but he's got all- no social awareness Exactly. Whoever he was looking at, they had some social awareness. And he's like, how do I strip it to make it to make this real per- this real cringy person who I saw even cringier for the movie? Yeah. Uh, it gets it gets into aspects at the end, though, where it's sort of like, all right, with all this technology, I, again, that, you know, I'm very picky with this. Mm-hmm. If you're going to dive into this much technology, then it would be a lot easier to catch him. I know that means that you right, now have right. to write in more obstacles. But if you're going to do a movie of technology and talk about all of it, then you have to get in there. And there are moments where I was like, no one's catching you, bro. You got 10K. Come on. We know that there's snitches on every chat. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, Especially because it's a public forum. It's not like it's not like in a a nerve where it's a, you know, the what is it? It's like a site that's only given to like people underground and stuff like that. He is going viral. Like everybody is seeing him. It would not be that hard as we've seen in the news to capture somebody. And at a certain point in the movie, it becomes known that there is a murderer out there. So it's not like this is being undiscovered. Yeah. Uh, throughout the you would yeah. have been able to find him just with the uh, I don't want to get too much spoilers but I- I'm curious to see what more people think about it now that it's out and interesting to see how it plays on computer screens because I think it mm-hmm. plays so much better on a computer screen than it would on a big theater in my opinion yeah but we'll see uh, the last one I wanted to mention quickly is Hoops. It's a new cartoon adult animation show on uh, Netflix. It stars Jake Johnson as the lead voice as a high school basketball coach. And uh, I give most of Netflix's animated shows a chance. I th- I've enjoyed a lot of them. I've recommended a lot Good of them on you. this podcast. Good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, not this <laughs> one, though. This one is a... This one's a slog. This is uh, a densely unfunny show uh, that relies on just being vulgar and uh, talking about like sex when he's around kids. And that's supposed to be the joke they do 20 times. And it's just so uh, undeveloped and not clever. 
I, I was really frustrated watching this one. Uh, that seems to be the consensus around this one, so I'm glad I'm not. Uh, I, I, that I'm in the majority, at least, for this. Maybe it'll find its audience because weird shows seem to find do that audience. on Netflix. But, uh, you know, I did not laugh once in the two and a half episodes I watched before I bailed. I saw one in three quarters. And, uh, yeah, it did. look, Netflix... They don't. They don't care <laughs> about being vulgar. They really don't care. They, as yeah. we will see with everything that they greenlit. But the thing is, like, as vulgar as you're going to be, there needs to be like a twist. There needs to be something funny with it, or else the right. joke is just like, "I'm gonna get sixteen year old. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you laid. How about that? Yeah. And by like a thirty five year old prostitute who lives in town. How about how about how about that one? And it's like that's the joke. There's, <laughs> there's nothing else to go with it. And, like, Big Mouth is a ca- cartoon on Netflix that is way more vulgar than Hoops is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it involves, like, it stars children. But there's there's more of there's a, a story theming to, to it. it. Yeah. The, the, char- the characters are actually developed and they're going through issues. And it, there's, there's reasons for it that make it all funny. Mm-hmm. Hoops was not that at any point for me. Do uh, you think it, it gets better in the second half? Or if you've seen you Hoops... Know, that's why I tried to give it more than one episode because I think a lot of times pilots are tough because you're trying to introduce so many people. And, you know, like there's the moment where it's like, oh, and my dad, who I'm going to explain everything to you about because it's the first episode and they're yeah. trying to tell you. But that it didn't get any better in what I saw uh, to me is a bad sign. Maybe uh, if you're going to if you're willing to subject yourself to the full season, let us know. Maybe it gets better by the end, because I also didn't love Bojack Horseman after the first couple episodes. I thought really? it was better than this. Oh, the, way better from, than this. From, way better than this. I'm Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't until the show really dives into the drama at the end of its first season where I was like, oh, I love this. Um, maybe I Hoops don't has think, that, you know, maybe you just got to go I through a couple of I don't think Hoops. Hoops will have that. <laughs> to I get to that. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but that's what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. We are going to move on to the yay or nay, where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting with two of this year's biggest streaming launches were HBO Max and Peacock. The Warner and NBC Universal services boast large collections of familiar movies and TV shows. However, not everything on those services is set to stay. Although HBO Max heavily advertised the complete Harry (laughs) Harry Potter series on its service, all eight of those films will leave the streamer on August 25th. Peacock, on the other hand, had films like Shrek, the Jurassic Park trilogy, the Matrix trilogy on its service at launch, yet none of those movies are currently available anymore through Peacock. Art, yay or nay, this should be a crisis for consumers. We should be marching on the streets, Zach, with masks, (laughs) with DVD cover masks on. (laughs) We're broken records with this. What are you talking about? Like we've yeah. we've been mentioning uh, own the own 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 it, and they don't want you to own it. Why? Because everything's gonna be leased out to you. That's why. Uh, it would be cool in a perfect world where the universal streaming service. Oh my gosh, they have a universal streaming service. If they had every universal film, but that's not the game that they're gonna play. Obviously, we talked about Disney also creating a vault. Now that Disney is creating a vault, like they're doing the same thing they did with their physical media. But even more, because when it's streaming, it's streaming. When it's not, it's not. Like, if you got a movie from the vault, you got the movie from the vault. If you, yeah. you know? I, I always thought that, like, the streaming and Disney Plus would, like, 
get rid of that idea of the vault. You no, know? they come in that, with streaming rights now and, and, and terms and, and it can only be this long. We've seen yeah. it, it's like we're not dumb. We saw them debating the office. Uh, are arguing right. for the office. Who's going to get the office? Who's going to get friends? Mm-hmm. Who's going to get, the, oh, they're going back to their respective homes. Yeah, but you can't even visit them in their own homes. <laughs> like, they right. go away. So what's the point? Yeah, Money. the idea that streaming is easy to use, which it is, it's the easiest to Too use. Too easy. Doesn't necessarily make it, like, readily available. And the that's just so concerning is, like, some of these movies are just going to not be available for stretches or, or worse because they're they're in contract disputes. Like, you know, it starts with the famous Jet Jackson. What happens after that? You know, like, do you remember that guy who complained about the fact that he was in Canada, had bought two movies through Apple, but he was not allowed to see them because he's in Canada and the right. studio distributors were like, we can't let you stream it. He's like, but I digitally own it. So it's not even streaming. Isn't that scary? Like, unless yeah. you broken record. But unless you physically own the thing that they can come into your house and take, even if you digitally buy it, not torrent it, which you would have, digitally buying it legally, you still cannot stream it because it is still considered some sort of stream and it will be blocked. So now you have to get like a VPN to watch the movies that you legally own. And you know the the difference between a digital and a a physical one? It's the same exact damn price. For the longest time, it was the $19.99 to own the physical thing, $19.99 to own the, the digital one. Mm-hmm. Yet one will not be there if you travel. One will right. not be there if if they change the uh, the streaming restrictions on it, the the region locking or whatever it is. That, that's insane. That is crazy. Yeah. Uh, not that this is necessarily the stuff that we cover, but just to bring this up, uh, I saw Amazon reached a deal to stream uh, Seattle Sounders soccer games. But even though those are going to be available through Amazon Prime, they've region locked it for that area, for the Washington state area. So like company, you know, they they can yes. region lock even more than they are now. The Golden Globes, um, I could not see them because I was driving in Minnesota and I needed to be at right. home to watch it. Like I've yeah, I mean when I was on the road, I literally I was still in America and I could not see stuff that was on the other. I had to like cross yeah. back to the states, so it's gonna get wild. Like take whatever we thought they could get away with, and they've already thought. They've already yeah. thought of how they're going to maximize their profits for this and how they're going to limit things here or there. It's happened with sports all the time. It happens mm-hmm. with live events all the time. And now it's happening with stuff that's already made. They could just take it away from you whenever. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Reeves and Robert Patton's upcoming Batman movie has released a new logo, which if you're watching our video podcast, you should see as well as a depiction of Batman with a black and red color scheme. Mm. Art, yay or nay, you dig this aesthetic for the upcoming Batman movie. It's color graded like crazy, so I can't fully comment on that. I still want to see what what he fully looks like. It looks cool. looks all right. The logo's decent. Um, But what is it? Montreal, Quebec, Warner Bros. Games? They dropped the teaser, boy. They dropped the teaser, and it looked like there was oh, an I owl. Don't know if I saw this. Oh, there was. It looked like there was an owl in that teaser. So, hmm. uh, hey, I'm glad we're a movie podcast. But there may be a Court of Owls Batman game coming out, and that has me more <laughs> excited. Yeah, your name's Zach. <laughs> <laughs> the Batman uh, being, games have traditionally been good, right? Like I actually have. I think so. them, but I remember to Arkham me, Asylum getting really good reviews. Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and then. Uh, what was the last one? Arkham Knight, I think, was the last one. Uh, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed them. 
but th- hey, think about it. they they get that combat from like ghosts, you know, not now with all the different like Ooh. combat styles that they have. That probably was the weakest yeah. part of the originals. They fixed that up. Oh, you have a good game. And Court of Owls, like I own it. Like I have a signed copy of the first one that I look at every time I record an LME. So <laughs> Court of Owls is something I don't play with. I'm excited for that. Um but what do you think of the logo, considering that you have I know judged every DC logo that comes out? I mean, it looks cool. Um, I don't really put that much into it. I'm not. Do you think it's better than uh, the Batman Forever logo? Where do you think it fits with uh, the Dark Knight Returns BBS? Why are people Why are people making a big deal about ears? Doesn't oh do, doesn't does he not always have bad ears? You don't know. Well, let me explain to you. Uh, the <laughs> the cow. Okay, they'll go crazy for it. Let me change it yeah. for you. Um, have you ever seen people? lose their damn minds for the spider-man suit on twitter okay (laughs) yes okay so just swap the superhero the thing with batman is usually the ears how big the ears go like you'll have something like um one of the winter storylines had his ears i think it was noel had his ears like this big and it made him look creepy some of them have them smaller some of them have the ears be a weapon like it's also like a, a tool that he uses to like sonically hear stuff right um that they will fight for that. Is it black? Is it gray? Are they going the gray? Are they going the dark blue with the suit? Does he have a utility belt? Does he not? Those are all things that will be picked to like. I mean, they do it with uh, Spider-Man all the time. So that's just yeah. That's just the Batman fans. So, but we don't. There's no like relationship between the logo having ears and what people expect for the bat suit. Or did he have ears in that picture? I didn't look at it uh, that closely. Let me check. I don't. I mean, again, the whole thing is, like, so blown out for the most part. Yeah. But. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I like the thinness of the logo. There's we, also had a, we had a pretty a chunky of, one on the last one. The yeah. There's a lot of people saying that uh, it looks like Matt Reeves is fighting for it to be R, which I know some people are excited about. Is that something you're uh, putting a lot into? After Joker? And seeing the similar uh, kind of like graphic that that they're sharing, I wouldn't mind for it to be R. Matt Reeves is I don't I don't know if any of the War any of the Planet of the Apes movies were excuse me. R. I think they were PG thirteen. I would love for him to play with it. I don't know what label we yeah. have here if this is like uh, DC Black, but uh, if it ends up becoming the same label that Joker was, and that would be great considering that they also have the stuff on HBO and HBO doesn't yeah. care what rating you have when, when you're on their channel. So if you can go R, go R. Maybe this ends up becoming PG-13 because it's Batman. Right. You know, because it's Batman. I don't see how you can make it R. Grace Randolph would probably have a fit if it were Grace Randolph R. probably see 44 minutes of the movie and make a review of it. What I'm seeing here is that it's Jim Shout Lee. Out unhinged. Jim Lee uh, did... So this is a drawing. It would be a drawing of him, but he does have ears. Okay. So the sketch that's been released. I like his arms, though. They said he didn't work out, but it don't really matter if you got, like, <laughs> the bulkiest armor on you. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Still excited for that one. The New York Times recently released an article examining the Criterion Collection and its notable lack of films from non-white, non-male directors in its slate of over 1,000 films from over 450 directors. 
The lack of black directors in particular stands out as there are only nine films from a total of eight black directors, Spike Lee being the one black director with more than one movie included. He has two. Also, Yuzan uh, Palsi is the only black woman director in the Criterion. The article also notes that about 11% of the directors included were Asian, about 2% were Latino, and about 7% were women. Carlos Aguilar on Twitter also pointed out that among the Latino directors with films in the Criterion Collection, only one is an American Latino director. Art, I don't really have a yay or nay. Just let me know uh, what are your thoughts. Uh, physical media. <laughs> Comes down to it again. I think when you... Because uh, one of the biggest parts of the Criterion Collection uh, is how they are able to restore your film. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the most you can restore a film is with whatever it's shot in. Right. So it just one of the things that it points out to the most is the guy, the president, I think, took responsibility or however you want to call his quote saying, hey, yeah, that's he on said me. he he that's had blind me. spots. Yeah, he says, I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. the other way to fix it is to I mean, you've had since 1984, but OK. Right. Um, it was interesting to follow up an article that New York Times did a year prior when it came to directors from the 90s. And this goes also with that with the three part docuseries. They. Uh, they got to have us that I was telling you about on Netflix as well, right. where in the 90s, they were all talking about how they were all getting blacklisted. They were all in director's jail. And it was all these black directors who felt that they were just being used so that what name your studio, name your producer could say, we got a little bit of flavor over here, that they were just bringing in whoever they needed and be like, hey, see, we use this one black director. And then that director wouldn't have anything else for the longest time. Right. Um, and that's kind of what it is here. It's like. I don't know how John Singleton, who's – I don't even think he has 10 movies. Like he could have a good collection of its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean Spike Lee in, in particular that he, he has two. Has two. Uh, you know, and we're, we love Wes Anderson, but Wes Anderson is eight, and his career is significantly shorter than Spike Bro, Lee's. Bro, there was a bar on the article that said there are more people named Wes Anderson. There are more films by an Anderson than there are African-American filmmakers. Uh, on the list, which is pretty crazy. But no, it really just comes down to that preservation of... That's why I love the Criterion so much because it is preservation to its fullest extent. You are able to Mm -hmm. purchase this file that has been restored with uh, not just special features, but making ofs, but actual, you know... It's not just the directors and the filmmakers who want it. It's also like writers, critics, culture people who want to be uh, a part of the Criterion Collection. To be able to make an essay for the Criterion Collection is also something that people want to be a part of. To be able to have your artwork included in the Criterion Collection is something people want to be a part of. Um, And I would argue that it's even bigger than some awards because an award just represents the year and you can see a lot of fluff and there's arguments. But this is like you are – there is no awards. It's just what is deemed worthy like a library of Congress but by a private company who (laughs) – has the means and the funds to be able to, um, like we just said with streaming, give it the everlasting, I guess, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here. The preservation. The of preservation it. of or, it or, to its fullest. And the highlighting of it. You know, uh, Scorsese talked about it all in the time. New York Times. Somebody, somebody in the New York Times article called the Criterion the Louvre of movies, which mm. is like, I think it kind of 
great way to talk about it because it, whether or not uh, you love every movie in the Criterion Collection, uh, it has Irrelevant, this reputation yeah. exactly. of being the, the, the most established, the most esteemed movies that are worthy of being preserved like that. Um, it, it, you know, the way that film Twitter reacts anytime there's a sale on the Criterion should should show you it's only reason Barnes and Noble is, is still open. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, it's just, not even books. Uh, it's movies. It points to the way in which uh, if every faction of uh, the industry has its its blind spots, if that's the word you want to use, or or just uh, you know it, it's lacking uh, in in its treatment of people. Uh, the fact that, you know, you mentioned John Singleton, we've talked about Gina Prince Bythewood. Mm. There's plenty of directors who, who should be getting this kind of treatment who, for whatever reason they aren't plenty of films that have, uh, not gotten this kind of treatment that deserve it. Uh, and hopefully this is a moment where people work to write those, uh, write those blind spots and fix those, uh, gaps because it's, you know, when you look at the numbers like that, it's, puts it plain as day and it's interesting because i didn't know that much of the separation between the criterion collection and the criterion channel mm. but everything on the criterion channel doesn't have a criterion collected release they right. just have the streaming rights to it which one is great that's why i love the criteria i don't know where i have my little pin thing but i love the criterion channel it's dope it's amazing they have some exclusives they're not a part of the collection it still shows you that difference between what is deemed to be printed out to have that budget to have that rollout is a really big deal as opposed to like you just said the easiness of uh, let's just get the rights and you're able to stream it um not only john singleton but uh robert townsend he's i, I just saw one of his movies director of up up and away but also uh hollywood shuffle which is yeah. out on uh, on the Criterion Channel. I caught it there. That doesn't have a release. You also have a bunch of other filmmakers that, you know, Fruitvale Station could easily get one. If we're talking compared right. to a lot of other directors who have a Criterion I mean, version. Paul Dano's made one movie. And, and Wildlife is on a Criterion. You know, it makes no sense. Uh, you can go back to, like, Casey Lemons. You can go back to, you said Gina, Gina Bryce. Um, I feel like Jordan Peele... It, there's a thing with the Criterion Collection where I feel it's like you were saying it's these foreign films many of the times. It it's probably has a little waft of the movie needs to be more than just the pop culture's I yeah. We're a allowing marriage times, story. Irishman. It's maybe like an uh, a lot of times dope. it's maybe an underseen movie, but especially with those Netflix films, they they're opening up the door to some right? very well seen, very uh, expensive in some cases movies. Hitchcock has some. Believe yeah. If Hitchcock has some, I think it's only a matter of time before uh, a Get Out or Us is deemed worthy of being in it. It's almost like they they just got to give it a little bit. It's too new. Yeah, but it's not too new for Marriage Story. Irishman, a bunch of the other ones. Parasite got ears. Did we ever talk about Parasite? In the Morse code release? Yeah, no, just 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 the artwork. Which shows you how big we're into it that we judge the artwork. Like really, this is what you're gonna pick. That's some next level stuff. It's some next level uh, stuff, but uh, what do you think? I don't know the, the Morse parasite. code. Yeah, I don't know the Morse code to ill, but not well, for I me. Well, I saw the I saw the design. I was like, that's cool, but I, I don't know if I get it. And then somebody pointed that out, and it's so it's so cool. Uh, I don't know if I would have robbed somebody of that. It, it like look up Morse code. I parasite think it could have been covered. I think it could have been better. Really? I think it could have been better. It's still the same poster behind it. Yeah, the, did you see the uh, Irishman one? The Irishman one is dope. Sick. That 
yeah. I mean, I guess Portraits. you're right. Because sometimes those Criterion boxes are just so like. Yeah. Now that they're competing with striking A24. and different. And, yeah. yeah. Now that they're competing with A24 that does the opposite of Criterion, which is all the special features. But they're giving you that Midsommar box is like woven in. It's got artwork. It's got everything. So it, it wasn't bad. But that's what I'm talking about. We're getting to that point where we're even critiquing the art, like the artwork. Yeah. It needs to it needs to have that level of the of uh, being worthy of criterion. I just got my uh, do the right thing criterion. Shut from your Spike face, Lee Ooh. gift shop. Ooh, what a cool guy over here! Wasn't he giving out free stuff with it? He no, he's signing all his stuff now. If you if you go to Spike Lee's gift shop, like almost everything has a autographed version available right now. So yours autographed. If you've been meaning to, is it autographed? Absolutely, it is. Thank you. My my assistant is. Uh, bringing it over. I got a little smudge in transition, unfortunately. Do you but, like do the right thing? Uh, I, w- I would have never known. I've never seen it. No, yeah. I've never I, seen I it know. brought up ever. It's not in my letterbox top four or anything. Uh, yeah. Criterion's pretty cool. <laughs> um, hopefully, hopefully they open it up to some more of the films and filmmakers that we so, love. Yeah, it's like 60 movies, 60 movies that they make a year or that they transfer over a year. So hire a bigger yeah. team. Get more. Get more in there. Uh, that's about all for our yay or nays, but we're going to move on to some topics in our segment. The interview where we answer questions posed by you, the intercut viewer. So be an intercutie and send us your questions by leaving them in the comments on YouTube, hitting us up on social media at intercutpod or emailing us intercutpod at gmail.com. Got a few different subjects to hit, starting with what our favorite Indian film is. Uh, and this is unfortunately a place where I'm going to show a uh, little bit of a blind spot for me because I, I just haven't seen enough. Uh, Satit yet. Uh, what, how do you say his name? Satit Roy uh, has that Apu trilogy that mm-hmm. has been on my watch list forever. Uh, and maybe this moment will embarrass me enough that I will actually go watch those movies. Uh, I did want to spotlight what I think are two underseen and really good films. Uh, there's one from 2014 called Court by Chaitanya Tamhane. Uh, that's about this one case that's stuck in the Indian courts and just the intricate uh, ways in which it gets complicated by the court system. Uh, it uh, it's entertaining. It's pretty unexpectedly funny. I like that one a lot. And then uh, this other one, Amis, uh, which I saw back at Tribeca last year. It's got a little bit of like a uh, Phantom Thread vibe. I want to mm-hmm. say to it. Uh, that one, I don't know if it's easy to get a hold of. I know it came out in India last year. Uh, but yeah, those are two ones that stood out to me. Indian cinema is massive, bro. The amount yeah. of Hindi explained channels that are out there. Ooh. Yep. Ooh, there is an audience craving for these movies. We had talked about uh, before the podcast how Makoto Shinkai, who has Weathering with You out, India wasn't getting any animes. So they started a petition. Makoto Shinkai is like, I'm going to be right there. Did a whole tour for India. And they're like, you know how America is shaping everything for Chinese audiences because they want all that global moolah from overseas? It's going to get yeah. a point where they realize uh, Indian people also watch movies and they have a massive audience over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I've noticed that the most because uh, in AMCs in particular, they have a bunch of Bollywood movies that play even more so than they have Asian movies or even like British movies that come in. Uh, but they usually a, a lot of big Bollywood 
action films. You know, they're they're like the franchises and all that stuff. Uh, I've been watching a couple of uh, horror ones that have been recommended to me that are like on YouTube episodically. Uh, one is called Boots. One is called Tombad. Uh, I, I usually watch a lot of horror stuff. I even seen Pihu, which is also recommended, which horror horror for other reasons. But uh, I remember one of the earliest ones I had seen, one of the ones that stuck with me was a movie called My Name is Khan. I don't know if you remember that from way back in the day. I had rented that one at Blockbuster and it's about like right after 9-11. There was a guy with a disability and like he doesn't know any better from all the prejudice that's coming his way, especially living in America during those times. Um, literally a lot of the movies that uh, Irfan Khan, rest in peace, uh, he mm-hmm. passed. I think he was making a lot of movies that were making the jump over that weren't these big franchises like The Lunchbox and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but one of the earliest ones that I saw, because I, I had in high school, I wanted to watch a movie from every single country. And I went through IMDb to see what the most popular one was. And at that point, they had recommended Three Idiots. I don't know if you've seen this. But <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen Three it. Three Idiots has been, like I, I believe, also translated in different countries. So I found it funny that at that point in time, that was like the comedy. That was the one that they were pushing the most. Uh, but I definitely think that the, it has, if I'm not mistaken, top three. I'm not even saying five. I think top three global audiences. And it's only a matter of time before there's more Indian films that are being produced mm-hmm. over here in America. I think Netflix is already dipping into that. Um, but adaptations, we talk about India does a lot of adaptations. Sometimes they don't mm-hmm. even ask for permission. They did that, they did that with the Miracle on uh, Miracle and Saw number seven. But uh, I definitely think once America realizes that the market is there, then they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we, o- we always knew you were there. But uh, no, there's definitely a lot of other ones and any recommendations that you guys have, definitely let me know. A lot of the ones I get recommended are horror films. So yeah, I'm curious to see more dramas and hey, four idiots and uh, more comedies and stuff. <laughs> uh, we also got asked about our favorite Werner Herzog films. You've uh, seen more I haven't than I have. seen. I haven't seen some of the classics like Fitzcarraldo or Nosferatu or Wrath of God. Uh, I've seen more of the documentaries and of that. I, of course, Grizzly Man is uh, one of the great ones. I also really liked Encounters at the End of the World. Uh, just kind of like a a weird kind of off kilter in the ways that we often associate his narration with being off kilter mm-hmm. uh, documentary about these researchers and uh, at the polls. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't seen enough of his uh, fictional work. I think w- one of my favorites of his, uh, n- of his fictional movies is one of your favorites as well. Rescue Dawn. Yeah. I had no, I had no idea he did that. And uh, what was the one we were just saying with Nick Cage? Oh, Bad Lieutenant, yeah, which is one of my least favorite movies, but... Out of all the movies this man's made, like those were the two. And I I should have seen Family Family LLC because I have that one queued up, ready to watch. So I could have at least said that I've seen that instead of Bad Lieutenant, that being the last one that I saw. But Rescue Dawn's cool, and you were telling me that it was a... He also made the dog to it. Yeah, it uh, is based on the, or it's the same story as the documentary Little Theater Needs to Fly that he made. Uh, I think he made it even like 20 something years before he made Rescue Dawn. So it's been a story that's been in his Damn. head for quite a while. That was dope. Uh, we got asked which platform will win the streaming wars? You have one? I mean, it, 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 the answer has to be Netflix, right? It's, it's a. They're still here, man. You know what I've been uh, listening to more of is uh, the Netflix Effect podcast that you recommended. What do you think? It's really good and uh, just 
the ways in which it shows you how their culture has kind of bred this monster of a company, but also gives you an inclination as to why they are so successful and continually successful. It's it's a really, really interesting listen. Uh, the Vox podcast, Land of the Giants, if you haven't uh, checked that out yet. I'm going to say Blockbuster. Uh, they still have one. You know, I, they, you know, they're down right now. They're down to one store. But I, they're I offering see, Airbnb service, you know, so you take that money. You yeah. take that money, open up some servers, and I think you can find a way to, to kill off the VOD ones first, right? <laughs> and then you're going to be able to come back over here. Imagine if they did have a streaming service, right? At a certain point, we're going to realize you can't have all these streaming services. Someone tries to go back to selling you stuff, right? And they go the pay-per-view va- route, but instead of pay-per-view, they do what uh, Blackbuster did back in the day. 40 bucks, you get to rent as many as you want. But because it's digitally, you you... It's like streaming, but for actual blockbusters, but you only get like 10 a month or four a month or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? An AMC stubs mm-hmm. bit at home. We talked about AMC doing something like that since they're going to have some, some of the movies be digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, HBO. Ooh, I, I would not put, count them out. Because all, the, all they did was HBO. turn into streaming, but they were never TV. They were never that. And it is does bring up the question like how will it, like can somebody win the streaming wars? Yeah, they even? can. Amazon has way more leverage than Netflix does. I think the the biggest leverage that Netflix does is the debt that they're in with the amount of productions that they have. So they have stuff. Mm-hmm. But Amazon is more than, and I mean we're not even mentioning Sony yet. But Sony is also another one that Sony above Universal above. Uh, right. Well, what's the other one that's out right now? Uh, Universal's is Peacock. HBO's is uh, whatever, Warner. but like, do they also have uh, a game? Universal, or, you know, you do they that. have a gaming system that's going to be coming out? Do right. they, you know, their ecosystem well, the- over here is crazy. Just like Apple's ecosystem is crazy. It's really when you're talking mm-hmm. in terms of who wins, you're not talking quality anymore. You're talking in terms of who will be able to survive, right? The movie and, right. and the smaller ones, those do worry me because I don't know how long they'll be there for. But the ones that have the yeah. biggest ecosystem like Amazon that can continue to, it was funding it as a side project, you know? It was just a side little hustle that they had. And now right. that they're realizing everything's got to be from home, they're like, dope, we'll do this. They've worked the ba- the best deals with theaters well over mm-hmm. Netflix. We never hear this, but they always release. What streaming problems that they have with the Big Sick? Nothing. Right. With all of their other ones. They have a deal going on and no one says anything. But with Netflix, it's like, oh, theaters and Netflix, they hate each other. Um mm-hmm. But again, they have that ecosystem of having the Amazon network. Sony is Sony. Um, I, I do worry sometimes. Netflix has stuck it out, but I don't know, man. Yeah, I I think they're losing what stuff. We'll see is like we'll see some services fold, but ultimately it's going to be like there's a big four or a big five, and Netflix seems like they've gotten into that uh, tier, if you want to call it, it that. Disney, that's how HBO, the small, yeah, that's how the small studios ended up being devoured by the bigger studios. Right. DoorDash just yep. bought Caviar. You know, that's just the way the world works. So what the big four will be, I, I think it'll be the big four that we started off with, maybe. But Of all the movies we've seen in quarantine, which would have been most elevated by the theatrical experience? Uh, this is a little bit weird of a question for us because I feel like a lot of my favorite movies from this year at least were movies I saw at Sundance so we were lucky to have that audience experience like Palm Springs in particular Mm -hmm. it's the kind of comedy that's like it's fun to watch in a room full of laughing people Uh, I would have liked to have that experience again but uh, I guess you know 
things prevented that. Uh, maybe American Pickle, although I don't know if that's like the big boisterous comedy that Palm Springs is. Um, Greyhound came to mind, but I didn't love Greyhound, so I don't know if I would have really liked it all that much more if I saw it on a movie screen rather than on my screen. You know, besides tough question. Besides Artemis Fowl and Inheritance <laughs> and the tax collector, of course. Uh, yes. No, I agree with you. Some of our favorites we did see at Sundance. I think the only one that I'm seeing here that comes off the top that I thought would have been dope, which is funny because we talked about it too, um, First Cow. Because hmm. I have a pretty good setup at home. But there hasn't been like the big – because they haven't released any big blockbusters. Like you said, Greyhound is dope to have seen in a theater for the technical reasons, but – story wasn't there um first cow i think would have been cool to see with an audience um and also seen in in like a really good theater like an arc like theater that has the shadows and everything down because they specifically have those really dark moments that she made for theaters so that the contrast would be there for the night shots uh and like my 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 tv got it pretty close but nothing compares to a theater that would have been a dope one to see there I don't know. You know, uh, the, weirdly, the answer to this question might actually be some Netflix movies that we wouldn't have seen in a theater anyway, like something like Extraction or The Old Guard or, for me, The Five Bloods. Like, that might have been elevated by getting to Mainly, see it yeah, because of the way theater. that the ratios are changing and everything for uh, Five Bloods would have been cool. I will say one that I, I am kind of disappointed that I won't be able to see, Run. Yeah. That was yeah. supposed to come out Mother's Day. That would have been dope. We'll get back there eventually. Maybe you a little bit sooner than me. For tenant. Uh, <laughs> what small indie director or smaller indie director would you be most excited to see direct a bigger action movie a la Gina Prince-Bythewood directing The Old Guard? Uh, it's an interesting question. You know, there's always these directors getting plucked mm-hmm. uh, from, from the obscurity to direct bigger movies. Uh, the only one that came to mind immediately, and I don't know if he's even interested in doing something like this, is just Ari Aster because I see how comprehensive and full his worlds are, how much detail he puts into the background, and that he can do those on a more limited budget makes me just wonder what he would be like if he had that much more money. I don't know if he's even interested in that, but I, you know, I, I like I think what what a big budget is really good for is giving you a world that feels fully realized and is teeming with action and activity. And he's a guy who pays so much attention to all those details that Mm -hmm. uh, I think he'd do well in that context. I'm going to say Eliza Hitman. I want her to get the next big Marvel blockbuster (laughs) and just direct it there. Uh, No, which is the complete opposite of what she does. The complete op. That's what I'm saying. Give her the biggest budget and none of that money goes into the action. All that money goes into the talking set pieces because nobody who gets plucked out for the independent part does any of the directing for the action. It ends up going to the Mm -hmm. stunt coordinators. It ends up going to what's already been pre-written in the script. You know, they're just there to be like, okay, let me know when it's time for me to do the dialogue again. Yeah. You know what I'm also going to say? I'm going to say the Daniels. See, now we're talking, we, we want to see them with a big budget. We just want to see what they yeah. would do if they had a big budget. The budget doesn't have yeah. to go to, like, an underground action. railroad action <laughs> CGI sequence. It can go to anything yeah. like that. Um, I would also say, uh, did you ever see Sell on the Spades? Oh, no, I haven't yet. I think uh, Tarisha Poe, she does a really good job at, like, building up a world. Like mm-hmm. you said, like the intricacies of actually having a world. And I would love to see a budget where all of that can come to fruition. I mean, I know she's doing a show. 
Uh, I don't know who picked it up. I can't remember who picked it up. But there's going to be a show version of Sella. But mm-hmm. like all those directors who are able to expand their worlds because of the bigger budget that they now have. They don't have to cut something out. They can they can make it as vast as possible. Uh, what was that movie? that? What was the one with Della De Carvine or whatever her name was? That Cara sci-fi Delevingne. one? Oh, the Valerian one? Valerian. The city of whatever's. That, yeah. See, that is giving somebody a budget for their crazy, zany idea. Exactly. And everyone just going like, oh, no, no, no. I believe you put effort into it. I just think it's weird. So imagine those <laughs> budgets being given to other people who also have those interesting ideas. That's what I would find fascinating, like a ridiculous yep. budget being given to people. Another potentially good uh, fit for that question is the subject of our next question. What do we think is next for the Safties? Uh, and I think... You know, they've got a interesting formula here between Good Time and Uncut Gems where they take a very known movie star and put him in a very unconventional role for him that gets the kind of awards attention that a lot of these actors would like. Uh, I think whatever they choose to do, they, they'll probably find an actor who fills a type of character they, uh, they're interested in and make these kind of like smallish comedy a24 level comedies uh and and get that kind of awards attention eventually because uh we we saw they got signed on to do the remake of i want to say it was 48 hours so i'm pretty sure it was a eddie murphy comedy that's not gonna um, happen and they ultimately left that project it seemed uh, i read in an interview that they just of course get on the same page as the studio that they just are i think they're a little bit too idiosyncratic a little bit too uh you know, difficult and not crowd pleasing, maybe to get a big studio movie. I, I think, you know, what they'll do is uh, make the movie that eventually wins Jonah Hill is Oscar or something like that. That's a nice way to put it. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see them do a TV series of some kind or something like that. That'd be great. Too. You know, does... I think they're working on one with Nathan Fielder. You did send me that. What's it going to be on? I don't know. I, I'm just ready for it. That'd be interesting. I'd love to see them do some TV stuff because it doesn't always have to be, you know, movies. But I want them to continue because I want them to continue doing movies because we talked about how they're that last dying breed of being the people who aren't just full Internet. They were still on the street for Daddy Long Legs. Like they were still doing that type of promotion. So they went through stuff that new filmmakers will never go through. Like they are mm-hmm. that dying breed of being the end of the Tarantinos and the beginning of this new generation as well. Um but yeah, I think they're just going to continue working with like different actors because uh, the w- awards run that they had for Sandler was cool. I would even say that uh, Pattinson wasn't Remember Me. He was in Cosmopolitan. He was in all these like art house movies, but it wasn't really until Good Time that they're like, whoa, look at it. Because mm-hmm. he looked drastically different. And then came The Lighthouse and then came all this other attention that came with it. And people finally arguing, see, he's more than just Twilight. So I think they do a great job of taking a character a character actor, just an actor that people have pegged in one way and then flipping that on its head. You know, even with someone Absolutely. like Sandler, who you and I have known, Sandler's got the guts. But, you know, when people get used to that Netflix deal and they're seeing Netflix Sandler, Netflix Sandler, Netflix Sandler, Uncut Sandler looks a little bit different on Netflix too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it also answers the question we just had. We also don't want to see these directors be pigeonholed. Pigeonheld? I don't know what the term would be, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because these budgets... That's what they are. It's a you get the budget, but you also get less control. You yeah, get Phil Lord, Chris Miller. A lot of, like. a, lot of uh, a lot of great directors uh, can't really operate within that system. You know, we've seen old guard Edgar has that Wright. Regina. You can see it. Yeah, it was Edgar Wright as well. Yeah, 
Edward left F. Landman, Lord and Miller left oh, you gotta solo. Remind. Like, <laughs> oh, the what could have been. We're we're literally yeah. stacking up a list of the what could have been movies, and we're gonna mm. have like uh, Hodorowski's Dune. <laughs> but for all of these other different movies that were never made, yeah. it's just gonna be docs detailing what could have been. Uh, Denny is a good example of a director that we would have said that thing about giving him a budget about and until they, they listened, bro. They tuned in budgets. and they gave him the budget. Yeah. So we'll see who's next. Thoughts on the 13 Reasons Why finale. I did not see this. Uh, it's terrible. It's bad. They started off with a very bad season trying to do something. And in season two, by answering those questions, just created worse things that they then tried to cover in season three that just created more holes. And by the end of season four, they try to answer things like, um, you always had a therapist, but they they didn't, though. You just introduced it in season four. And by saying that he always had it, it makes your therapist look even more stupid. Uh, also, the ending, ending is ridiculous. It just proves that uh, the most toxic character in the show was, in fact, the lead guy. It was uh, Clay Jensen. Just moves from one girl to another to another. You should not be moving on to, to another person when you're still hallucinating the ghost of the previous one. It's bad. They yeah, did not learn their have. lesson in any way, shape, or form in the show. It's crazy. Yeah. Christine Paul finished The Amazing World of Gumball. Thanked you for that recommendation. Art, do you have any suggestions as weird as that one? Do you have any suggestions for me? I don't <laughs> I just I still do gumball. I mean, uh, the the thing that came to mind to, for me is one of our favorite screener grass. Like that's a that's a plenty weird one. Uh, I would uh, say Broad City. I know it's mm-hmm. live action, but I, I do go from <laughs> Gumball to Broad City. Those those have always been like my two uh, to go shows. What else you got? Um, I mean I'm less familiar with cartoons. That's and what I'm more, thinking. Cartoons. It's like because like for me, I'd say maybe like try some John Waters stuff out. Uh, I like Serial Mom. That's uh, a, but that's again more of the greener grass line. I don't know, man. Uh, there's definitely plenty of weird stuff out there. Not as good as Gumball, though. Not as good as Gumball. <laughs> All right. So uh, those are our suggestions for interview. Thanks again to all of you who sent in questions for us to get your question featured on a future episode. Make sure you reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at intercutpod. Email us intercutpod at gmail.com or leave us a question in the YouTube comments. Thanks again to all of you that did. We're going to go to our final segment of this and every week, the new to see where we give you our picks for the week. Art, what should people go out there Boy and State. watch? It is on Apple TV. You can watch it now. I said it. Excuse me. When I made my video for Apple TV, I said, there is nothing good to watch. And they picked up Boy yeah. State, and I was like, we're going to have to wait for that. Bruh, yeah. really? We waited that long? <laughs> Apple TV finally got a movie. Finally subscribe yeah. to Apple TV. Buy yourself a new iPhone if you were thinking of buying one so you can get your year plus of uh, <laughs> Disney uh, of Apple Plus. This is a, it's a banger. Uh, Apple TV is finally getting some pretty good shows on there. They're finally racking up yeah. a content library. After all these damn the months, which is ridiculous, but that's what we've talked about in the past is like one of the things that's so lacking about Apple TV plus is they've got so little stuff on there. Like even if you are a faithful watcher of all their new programming, like you can get to the end of it. Like imagine saying you got you to know? the end of Netflix. No one would believe you. No one would believe you. So they finally have that. And it is, it is a doozy. Boy State, definitely check that one out. Um, better Days. Have you seen Better Days? 
I have not. Bro. Better Days has been recommended to me a lot. It is an Asian film about, like, I guess bullying is the best way. The title card comes out. It's like, a lot of people get bullied. Here's a story. <laughs> and it is a crazy social media-infused uh, movie about bullying. And it is it, it is crazy. Uh, I recommend that one for you. Let me know your thoughts on that if you're able to check it out. I believe it's already out, like, at least in virtual. Um, hmm. And in Pedagore. Another one to sneak in there from Sundance. Oh, I actually was able yeah. to catch in Pedagore. Figured I'd put it over here. So we got Boy State, the super must watch. A little foreign film with Better Days uh, that's been highly recommended. And then in Pedagore, another foreign film, but a horror from Sundance. Uh, I think it takes place in the Middle East, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what part, but pretty much you have these toll booth ladies girls really who are working at the toll booth and a dude comes in wanting to kill one of them because they believe that they're cursed and they carry something with them and now they have to go to like this village to figure out why do i have a scar on my thigh it is a crazy story um you know it's got some like you know tropes and jump scares that it does here and there maybe very big on exposition at points but i thought it was a fun little horror uh yeah. that that uh came out of sundance and i was glad i caught because uh, it was between that and amulet that i know i kept missing over there and i was like mm-hmm. oh well, we'll probably try to catch it on the next one and then we recorded the we recorded the intercut for sundance and we missed amulet as well but uh mm-hmm. i was finally able to catch up with Empedagore at least and i thought it was pretty good nice nice so i'll have to check that one out uh, I've got a couple of horror recommendations, too. I was going to uh, put host here, but we talked about that at the top. Still recommending it. Uh, it's, you know, definitely feels it's one of those uh, movies that uh, he kind of feels like of the moment, even if it's not necessarily like too topical. Uh, and it's just a really satisfying ride. I It's not. Not too long. I think it's worth your time. Uh, but while you're on Shutter, uh, I actually found the Jay Baruchel uh, directorial debut, Random Acts of Violence, like a somewhat satisfying, gory horror movie. You know, it's got it's got this whole thing where there's a debate going on between uh, the the violence and the appeal of violence versus the damage that violence does. And I don't think it really does anything with that. I don't think it has anything in that interesting to say mm-hmm. about uh, the role that violence plays in media. But I just think there's some satisfying imagery in this movie. Like he's got, he's clearly going for like a very uh, stylistic movie. It's, it's like a wash in red and green and purple lights at different points. Uh, they do some weird stuff with body parts and uh, there's an extremely good, gory finale to it but if you're if that's what you look for in a horror movie i think you're going to be satisfied with random acts of violence like it's not a great story but it's it's a very uh satisfying imagery in that dark and and uh doom inducing sense okay uh, so yeah random acts of violence host both of them are on shutter also, if you're looking for some more indie stuff, Fantasia Fest just started its virtual edition. Uh, if you uh, want to participate in a film festival, you can head over to Fantasia Fest's website and buy your ticket to their several screenings. They've got some on-demand screenings, which are screenings you have access to whenever. And they've also got some scheduled screenings, which are screenings you have to show up within a five-minute window to start. So it is kind of like you have that experience. Uh, you know, everybody watching at the same time. They've even got a 
Discord going where there's like a chat uh, with different moviegoers so you can hang out in the virtual festival lounge. And, you know, if you're missing that kind of environment or looking to experience one for maybe for the first time without uh, necessarily having to physically go to a festival, uh, I would recommend checking out Fantasia Fest. They've got some interesting movies, a couple films that we uh, saw or crew, people in our crew saw from mm-hmm. Sundance, including Dinner in America, which was one of Amanda's favorite movies from Sundance. Jumbo, which I liked a lot. Uh, they've got Feels Good Man, the Pepe documentary, which I know some people in our yeah. crew liked. Uh, they've also got the new movie from Johnny Toe, uh, Chasing Dream, which I'm interested to catch. A couple other interesting movies. Uh, Fantasia Fest is primarily a genre film festival. Mm-hmm. So uh, you get a lot of horror movies. There's some animation and stuff like that. Um, so check out their programming. Check out some of the movies and let us know what you catch. Uh, I'm interested to see what people see from Fantasia Fest. So it is possible, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's crazy, Zach. That's wild. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like you know a, there's an option to like there was an option people who can't and even make it that cool. Never been to Fantasia yeah. Fest. Can't wait to go. Virtually, at least. <laughs> uh, there's a a Twitter thread that I just wanted to shout out uh, that Eva Victor started, where she's uh, joking about being the weird girl that who the movie from the movie who's different uh talking to the quarterback from high school and it's mildly funny but the thing that i think is great about it is the way that it becomes this thread of people participating and a bunch of fun twitter comedians people like taylor garen or caleb heron uh who i follow all added their own characters to this fictional movie that she's talking about so i'll leave a link in the show notes to that twitter thread just kind of a a fun movie themed uh, set of videos and then lastly a new podcast corner uh, aside from the netflix effect which we mentioned earlier good podcast uh, catch out a good a, a good podcast catch uh this new one is the latest from serial productions which obviously many of serials podcasts have gotten a lot of press their latest one is called nice white parents it's about the effect of parents particularly white parents on different public schools uh here in the new york area particularly in new york city where uh New York City schools were at one point fairly recently recognized as the most segregated in any state of the country. So even in a uh, very liberal left leaning uh, area like this one, there still are these like systemic problems uh, with fundamental uh, services like education. I found it a really uh, enlightening and interesting listen. I think there are five episodes into that run right now. So nice white parents is my latest podcast corner. But that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at ZShevich. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, maybe at a theater. I don't... Uh, the music box said that they're, re- they're... They said they're recycling... Not recycling air, but they're taking the air that's in there, booting it out, and they, I don't know, they have a machine... The opposite of recycling air. From the outside coming. I don't know. Like, I'm like, there's still a rooftop. Like, I don't know how you get rid of that. But we'll see. Maybe I'll be going to one of those. But uh, you can catch me, hopefully, safe, secure here. Comfortable sweater on the (laughs) Intercut podcast. 
Yes, you can last, listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast. And then make sure you're not subscribed just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday, and please leave a comment, like the video, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-coveted five-star review. And shout-out to our listeners in the Philippines for putting us on the TV and film podcast charts out there. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod. To get the latest updates from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut, thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, some people are fantastic politicians, but I don't think a fantastic politician is a compliment either.